Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits, C103. And a very good morning to you as we welcome you along on which uh, is looks like it's going to be a nice bright Wednesday. Enjoy it because certainly the temperatures are circle. Uh, the Met Aaron is saying the temperatures are going to dip from tomorrow evening on, so we're in for quite a uh, chilly spell. I'm having a little bit of uh, one of those mornings where I just seem to be chasing myself to catch up because I over I overslept, which is the thing I absolutely never do. I get up at the same time every single morning, and I'm very routined in the morning as to where I should be at any one time at uh, quarter to seven, a quarter past seven, at half seven. I've everything down to a, a fine routine. So how does one uh, oversleep? Because I didn't. I set my alarm clock, but I have one of those extraordinary complicated alarm clocks that they're one of these smart alarm clocks. They're not complicated. They're, it's a smart alarm clock in that I can unplug it. I can take it anywhere in the world with me, plug it in and it sets to the time zone that I'm in. So it means when the clocks go forward or the clocks go back, I don't have to worry about that. My smart alarm clock will do that uh, for me and I have my alarm clock set for six o'clock every morning so it goes off at the same time except this morning at some stage during the night my very smart alarm clock decided that the clocks were going back last night instead of Saturday into Sunday morning so when I got up at what I thought was six o'clock and that's what my clock says it was actually seven o'clock and I didn't notice it because the first hour of my day I catch up with podcasts and I don't switch the radio on until five to seven uh, and then I, uh, and then I know what time of the rest of the morning is. Of course, when I turned on, turned off the podcast to go to live radio, it was five to eight instead of five to seven. There was mass panic in our house because if you are a parent of, with, with us, it's a special needs child, but in other houses with a small child, and they've got to be out the door at a certain time, particularly because a bus is going to collect um, them. I had a 15 minute period to get Marcia up, uh, dressed, fed and out the door. And by God, we did it. And I'd, say, I'd say the child has got to her workshop and thinks she's still in bed. Everything happened so fast this morning. So it's just w- when that happens to you, you seem to be behind on everything. So my apologies if I... I'm behind on everything this morning on a much brighter note and something that absolutely brought a huge smile to my face when I did make it to work and I started going through the papers. The front page of the Irish Examiner today has the most wonderful 
photograph of a happy, smiling uh, Joanna Reardon. I saw this yesterday because I know we had it up on our Facebook uh, page, the C103 Facebook page, and we got a huge reaction to it. It was a very special day for Joanna Reardon and all the O'Reardon service uh, thinking of her dad, Joe, and her mother, Anne, and her big brother, Stephen, and all the rest of the family and how proud they must have been yesterday. They were up in UCC. There was a conferring ceremony going on in UCC and the middle of it all, there was our Joanne picking up a BA in criminology. Just absolutely wonderful. And it is Dara McSweeney captured a photograph of Joanne yesterday. She's got her cap and her gown on and just this big beaming smile. I think you look at that and you think nobody can be more proud of herself than herself. She's just, she's incredible. She really is incredible. So buckets of love and congratulations to our own Joanna Reardon. And as I say, if you get your hands on a copy of today's Irish Examiner, you'll see the photograph that I'm talking about. All of the papers, obviously, very much focusing on the final debate, which, which was on last night, the final live debate for the presidential election. And we're getting very close. The... We will go to the polls this Friday. And really, last night, a debate that didn't end until half 11 was just, it was it was heated at times. Yes, I would agree with that. But it was just really, they went over and over again. All of the same issues that we have been addressing since this, since this campaign first began. So I certainly don't think I came away with it having learnt anything new. Maybe you did. Maybe I missed out on something. But I mean, primarily they looked at things. Again, all stuff we've heard before. Michael de Higgins' use of the government's Learjet to fight to Belfast. They discussed that at length. Peter Casey's controversial comments on travellers. That was discussed again. Sean Gallagher's public record over the past seven years. We've heard that before. His decision not to participate in the first of the TV debates. Again, old news. Leonie Riedas' uh, views on the HPV vaccine. I couldn't believe when that got mentioned. Again, that's been flogged to death. Joan Freeman's assertion that Peter House has saved 30,000 lives. I thought that was a bit of a low blow from David McCullough. I have to say, I couldn't believe that he, of all things to pick on Joel Freeman, I thought that particular point was a bit bizarre. I think he re- realised it or else a producer in his ear realised it and they got off that one uh, very, very quickly. Again, we heard about Gavin Duffy's plan uh, to set up a youth uh, core Michael De Higgins' use of the government. Jess, he was criticised by everyone, except I think Joan Freeman was the only one who didn't criticise him uh, for that. Leonie Reader said it was disappointing that Michael De Higgins wasn't more transparent uh, about his spending. And on and on and on it went. And as I say, I don't... Oh, Joan Freeman then was was asked yet again about taking the loan from her millionaire a multi-millionaire ex-boyfriend a boyfriend that she had when she was 19 and of course his links to pyramid selling and then again they, you know, somebody mentioned the fact that four, I mean they're including Michael De Higgins and that as a millionaire even though he's never come out and said he's not a millionaire whenever he gets accused of that. I think Michael De Higgins boxed very clever last night in that he remained very silent and statesmanly and just let them all at it. I mean he he spoke when he was spoken to. I think he rarely interjected and he just left all the rest of the matters. And I, I imagine that that was the strategy that his campaign team had decided. Just, you know, if you could ask a question, Michael, take a deep breath, think about it, give your answer 
and leave it at that. Don't get involved with a spat with any of the others. There was times I'd say where he was bursting to get into a spat, but he didn't. He just remained calm. Michael says, Patricia, hi. I have to respect David McCullough last night for doing an excellent job on chairing the presidential debate. For me, Michael D was the only true candidate. He was legally accurate, authoritative and in command of his brief at all times. He never got embroiled in the stupid irrelevant stuff that the dragons were bickering about and the two ladies just hung in there. Leonie Riada forgot to mention when she was questioned about her salary, which answer she partially corrected and forgot to mention she also gets in excess of €40,000 in expenses, including her first class travel back and forth to uh, Brussels. Can I just interject on that and say there is no such thing as first class travel back and forth uh, to Brussels because there isn't first class on any any of those planes because I know that's something all the MEPs get very annoyed about when we speak about first class travel. It doesn't exist on a flight between Brussels and um, Ireland. Anyway, in 2014, it was revealed that the 12 Irish MEPs cost the Irish taxpayer an average of 200 million each. And that's made up of generous salaries, expenses, attendance and allowances. The statistics are there for anyone to see. I would chance saying that it hasn't come down, but perhaps gone the other way since thanking you, says uh, Michael. Yeah, there there was no mention at all of... um of any expenses that MEPs get. And by text, Patricia, the debate shows how lucky we are and they think the government didn't want us to have a presidential uh, election, how wrong they got it. All right, so there's somebody very impressed with the other uh, candidates and you will, of course, have the opportunity to make your own mind up on Friday when you go to the when you go to vote. And I, uh, my instinct has I've have a funny feeling there's going to be a low turnout. Traditionally, there are low turnouts for presidential elections, but I've just got a funny feeling it's going to be even lower this year. I'm hoping I'm wrong because I, I always try to encourage people to get out and vote. Now, coming up on the programme this morning, we're going to be looking at a motion that got debated in the Dáil last night, and it is to ban single use. Uh, plastics and not just um, single use use plastics. This was this was a proposal that's been put forward by the Green Party. I know they're also looking like for a levy on takeaway coffee cups uh, to be introduced and this comes on the back of for the first time ever plastics have been found in humans and it was kind of one of those things that was that was eventually going to happen at some stage and it looks like it has happened. We'll hear a call uh, for a Michael Collins trail and why it is so badly needed in the town of uh, Clonakilty. Also hearing for why we need new laws to protect people who make false claims in personal injury cases. And these are not victimless crimes because when people go in and make exaggerated claims or make false claims, you, I, all of us are paying for it because we're all paying extra in our insurance premiums. And how often do we see on the paper cases of someone who went into court, made an exaggerated claim, a claim claim are made a completely fraudulent claim and then they walk away. I mean the the latest one actually that's making the papers and is getting a bit of publicity and I'm sure we touched on it in the programme during the the summer. It's a woman who's described as a former model and uh, a wife of a man who was described in court as a notorious criminal was told by a judge who was part of a contrived accident that led to claims by herself and three of her sister-in-laws. If this had this they had got 
their way. They would have walked away with €240,000 before them. And this is one of the cases that's been illustrated for the need for a perjury act. This was the case of Julianne Joyce, a 23-year-old, and her uh, in-laws who were... um, who were um, ordered to uh, in June to pay legal costs uh, which were will, will in total will cost 100,000 this was after their claims were were thrown out and what had happened was they got into the back of a taxi and they, the Motor Insurance Bureau said that this had all the hallmarks of an exaggerated claim. They Somebody tipped the back of the taxi and they reckoned that it was a staged crash. Then they f- Four ladies stayed in the taxi. Now, there was barely a tip on the back of the taxi, moaning and screaming and shouting about the pain they were in. So obviously the ambulance had to be called. The fire brigade had to be called. Would you believe the roof of the taxi had to be removed? Then they got examined. And when they were examined by paramedics, who said, no, there's nothing really wrong with your backs. All four of them then hopped out of the taxi, but they still went through with their case. And they were looking to try to claim 60 thousand uh, each and it was this girl uh, Joyce is Julianne Joyce and then she's a 23 year old and then it was her sister-in-law Elizabeth Ward who was 30 Kathleen O'Reilly who was 30 and Philomena Joyce who was 19 and they all tried to claim 60,000 euro for the rear ending it was thrown out and they were told to pay legal uh, costs uh, totaling 100,000 I don't know if they ever did but if there was a perjury law they could have been prosecuted instead of them just uh, walking away Um, so we're going to look at that particular law today also women in agriculture there's a forum going on uh, tomorrow now that I'm actually involved with them, the MC for the evening and we're going to speak uh, today with one of the speakers that's going to be addressing that forum last night about how to deal with stress and farming can be a very stressful time and more so than ever and you need to deal with stress because we know what can happen if stress can take over your lives. It is Wednesday. So Peter Dowdell, the Irish gardener, is also going to join us. Uh, so if you've got your gardening questions, get them in 1850 And I've just been told that there is a sheep on the abandoned Enniskeen Road at Morah at the Town turnoff. And the sheep is confused and may cause an accident. So if anybody's in that area missing a sheep, uh, can you go find your lost sheep? Where's little Bo Peep when you're looking for her? You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we've been reporting on our news bulletins this morning, Gardaí are investigating the circumstances surrounding the death of a man in his 50s. That's following an incident in McCroom. Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter, is at the scene and she joins me. Good morning to you, uh, Fiona. Good morning. Um, now, I believe this incident happened at about 11.40 last night, so 20 to 12. What do we know? That's right, Patricia. What we know at this stage is that a 58-year-old man was on a farm at a place called Raleigh North, which is just outside McCroom, and he contacted the neighbour to say that he had been shot. And when the neighbour arrived at the scene, he found him seriously injured and the emergency services were contacted but unfortunately the man was pronounced dead at the scene some time later and his remains remain at that scene this morning uh, the guard the technical uh, team and the state pathologist have been notified that they will arrive here later on today and carry out examinations at the scene and then his body will be removed to hospital for a post-mortem examination later and um, now, Gardaí have launched an investigation. They haven't made any arrests and no weapons have been found. And the 
investigating the possibility that this could have been linked to a local dispute. Um, but at the they are open and um, they're asking people who may have any information at all to contact them either at the crew guard station or any guard station. Okay, and what's and it's, the, it's, I mean, this is a very rural area. It is a very rural area, Patricia. For um, for people who don't know where it is, it's uh, it took me a while to find it. Actually, um, you have to kind of drive up past the uh, the Crew Toy Soldier Factory, um, and it's it's up um, in that direction, and it's about three miles outside McCroom Town. But it's um, it's a rural area. But the road has been completely closed off, so we can't get down to the farm. Um, it's down there. There's been and uh, there's roadwork signs on the farm, so I believe, or on the road, so I believe that there may have been roadworks being carried out there in, in the last while. And um, it's there's a couple of houses around the, the area, but it's um, it's a busy enough road, but it's kind of quiet. There's not a lot of people around. Um, but I've been speaking to some people, and I understand that he actually um, was living in McCroom at the time, um, and he's from McCroom. Um, but we don't know yet um, if, if he had been renting this farm or if he had been staying at the farm. Um, but I, I'm not 100% sure if it was actually his farm or not. Um, we're just waiting to get some confirmation on that. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, the guards, uh, we're hoping now to get some more information from okay, them. Okay, more, more will unfold as the day goes yeah, on. This is, uh... I was talking to somebody there um, who knew him and, and said that he was a very hard worker. He was a very nice man, really well known in the area, Um always just happy and jolly and they're absolutely shocked that something like this could happen um, especially in such a rural area yeah, as well, yeah. I, I think mean, I think it's you know I mean goodness me when somebody dies in tragic circumstances in, in any area it's bad but I think when yeah. it arrives in such a tranquil peaceful rural spot it seems yeah. to hit the people even harder that's it and I mean don't forget there was another man murdered in McCroom at the start of the month so you know it's an area now that has been um rocked by two uh, kind of tragic deaths here in the last couple of weeks. And, you know, for a place like McCroom, which is generally quiet and um, peaceful, you know, it's... Um, they're not it's used a, to these kind of stories. Yeah. No, they're not. And, um, you know, I couldn't believe it myself this morning when I got a call to say that a man had been shot dead outside McCroom. Um, it's just, it's, it's very unusual and, um, you know, people are, are shocked and... Um, very shocking, especially people who know this man as well and, um, you know, knew of him. And he was a 58-year-old man, didn't seem to bother people, wasn't involved in any kind of um, criminal activity. You know, he was just kind of going about daily life as best he could. And yeah. unfortunately, he's come to this tragic end. Yeah. OK, well, may he rest in peace. And as I say, we'll have more on this story, no doubt, mm-hmm. uh, as the day goes on. Thank you for that, Fiona. And Thank uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter, joining us uh, live from uh, Raleigh in McCroom, where the tragic death of a man and the Gardaí investigating. As I say, if we get any more in that story between now and uh, when we finish, we will link back up with um, uh, Fiona. Patricia, what else is coming into us by uh, text? Dan, who says, not very PC in Cork, Dan, uh, says regarding the presidency, isn't Leonie Reader just drop dead gorgeous? He thinks he says it's about time that we had a beautiful president. She would be able to persuade any minister or foreign minister to do anything she uh, wanted, says Dan, which isn't being very PC. Uh, indeed, indeed, it isn't... Um, 
Dan uh, thank you for your call and Mary says Patricia I heard you about your dilemma this morning where you were an hour yeah an hour late getting up but really I wasn't because I thought I was up at the normal time and all of that it's amazing Mary says what you can do when the pressure is on I always seem to work better in high high gear I work at my best uh, says Mary with regards to the debate last night I think David McCullough was the best interviewer so far I loved his tongue and cheek attitude and that's from Mary to WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Court Today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow it's family run so your loved one will feel at home see breedhaven.ie C103 This is the Court Today replay on C103 For C103 photos and more follow us on Instagram at C103 Cork now, last evening, the Dáil debated a motion calling for the ban on single-use plastics. It comes after tiny pieces of plastics were found in humans for the first time ever. Emily Duffy is a campaign director with Uplift and they work alongside Friends of the Earth and uh, she joins me. Good morning to you, Emily. Good morning, um, how are you? I'm very well and, and you're welcome. Was it inevitable that plastic would end up in the food chain and then ultimately into human beings? Absolutely. I mean, I think that we know already from testing on animals that we've seen significant amounts of plastics in their bodies. So I think that it's no big surprise that we have microplastics um, in our in our bodies. We know that when plastic goes into the sea, that it gets broken up into tiny, tiny particles. Um, it's already been found in our water supply. So I think, you know, I wasn't surprised. While I was shocked, I wasn't particularly surprised by the news yesterday that it's already in our bodies. And I was just reading this morning a bit that we don't really know what the health implications of our, that are, are yet. Um we know that they can it can travel to our livers, through our kidneys, um, and as you can imagine, that, that that isn't good news for us for our health. You know. Yeah, this is the big worry, really, isn't it? Is the health implications because it is something we're only going to really understand in years to come when it's going to be too late. Absolutely, and it's a bra- it's a brand new problem that we're facing. And we saw yesterday that the government have delayed um, the motion yet again to move um, the waste management bill, which has a number of really strong uh, pre- possible provisions to prevent th- this type of thing happening in it. Um, and it seems to me that they think that we've got enough time to delay, you know. And um, if yesterday's report shows anything, it's that we don't. It's that you know, plastics are already in our in our systems um, that, you know, you, you just have to, you know, read the news to see the damage that it's doing to our environment. I'm sure anybody who lives near the coast can see the amount of plastic bottle waste that um, that's on our beaches. Um, and, yeah, I think that, I think that we don't know, we don't know what the health implications yeah. of this are. And know, are, yes. are other countries moving away from single-use plastics? Absolutely. And we actually know that the EU at the moment are looking at an outright ban on single on certain types of single-use plastics. We know that countries like Denmark have already interest, introduced a plastic bottle deposit scheme, um, which encourages people to bring back plastic bottles for recycling. Um, so there's a small levy placed on the bottle when you buy it, and then you get that back when you bring your plastic bottles back. So there's already very progressive laws um, across Europe and Ireland um, is one of the biggest plastic um, polluters in the EU. So um, I was kind of shocked and surprised yesterday that the government didn't take the opportunity to move um, this bill forward. Uh, this is the Green This behind. is the, the Green Party bill? Well, the Green, so the Green Party put a motion forward but there's actually already a government bill in place called the Waste Management Bill that it just needs a, a, a small kind of bureaucratic stamp of approval to move to the next stage and um, 
but the government are blocking it and we're not really sure why. We know that they've been lobbied heavily by people like Repack and Coca-Cola um, who profit from the plastics industry. So um, it, it, it doesn't really make much sense why they're, why they're stalling it. So it's why we're calling on everybody today to ring their local TD and let them know that they want them to move forward on plastics as soon as possible. And when we talk about a ban on single-use plastics, what are we talking about here? Straws is an obvious one. Sorry? Straws. What, what are we talking about? Obviously straws. Yeah. But, all, but also, I mean, I suppose if you, if you look at, say, your own household waste, um, there's quite a bit of plastic that you can't actually recycle. Um, and I, I mean, it was news to me just last year that a lot of the stuff that I was putting into my recycling bin actually couldn't be recycled. So I'm ta- talking about things like, the co- like you know, things that cover your bread, um, you know, the plastic wrappers that are on, on, front, on top of microwave meals, all of those kind of things. What we're saying is, and what the EU are looking at, is that there's a lot of alternative, uh, alter- alternatives to those out there. Um, so it's, it's basically plastics that can't be Recycle. So obviously straws, but there's lots of other types of plastic as well. The very thin plastics um, can't go into the recycling bin and basically just end up in our landfills and our oceans. And that's what we're kind of pushing to, to ban. Erica says, can never understand why we don't have a deposit and ret- return scheme for plastic bottles and cans. We did it with bottles many years ago, mm. which is a good point. We did. Absolutely, yeah. And it, it, to me, it's a very common sense policy. Um, we know that it works. It works It works extremely well in other European countries already. Um, so we're not like, I'm just we're very unclear on what the block within the government is. And the kind of the, the, the strongest line of inquiry we have is that there's industry lobbyists who profit from um, the production of plastic in these ways that have been quite significant, significantly lobbying the government on this over the last while. Um, so I mean, it seems to me like a common sense policy. Anybody that I talk to, um, anybody who lives in Ireland that I've spoken to about it, says it, it, it makes complete sense. Um, so I think that what, what's really key now is that TDs need to hear, feel the pressure from the public on this because they obviously are hearing pressure from the business community um, on the other side of it. Um, so I would, I would like again, strongly encourage people, if you care about plastics, um, if, you, if you're worried about it, if you're children, for the animals, for wildlife, please pick up the phone and call your local TD and let them know that you want them to move forward on this bill as soon as possible. I watched that BBC documentary Drowning in Plastics um, a few weeks ago. Is the world, what is the world going to look like in 20 years time if we don't do something now about plastic waste? I mean, it's very, it's very scary. We already know that there's per, per ton, there's more plastic in the sea than there are fish, um, which to me is extremely worrying. You know, we see like, you know, pictures of turtles that are malformed because of, of plastic waste. Um, we know that it's in our bodies. We don't know what kind of diseases we might, we might, we might develop because of that. Um, so I think we're looking at a, at a fairly grim future you know we know that we've only a small amount of time to tackle climate change and i would say that the plastic pollution problem is is just as significant as well um because it we we, we actually aren't 100 percent sure what the implications for our health for our planet for our oceans will be um, but we know that we don't have any time to waste and emily what are your tips for uh, individuals i mean we're all sick of plastics but sometimes people feel oh sure what can i do i'm just one household sure Sure. So uh, what I would say is that it is very important to have a lifestyle based approach to these things and to make sure that you're recycling as much plastic as possible and where possible, not buying plastic. But what I'd say is more significant, 
is to target the decision makers in your local area who are making the laws because at the end of the day we need to tackle this collectively and we need to tackle it at the source. So the best thing I think that anybody can do today if they're worried about plastics is absolutely recycle and make sure that you know your own house is clean first but please pick up the phone, call your local Fine Gael TD and let them know that you want them to take action now um, and that you want them to ban single-use plastics and introduce a bottle deposit scheme. OK, and very finally, Eugene, one of our listeners, wants to know, where, where are we at in this country on the ban on microplastics? Yeah, so they, uh, we got very, very close last year, um, but it just hasn't progressed to the next phase. Um, so that's another thing that I think that would be, would be I think the government are actually quite on side with that. But again, business lobbyists, um, they don't want to see this happen because it's obviously a main part of a lot of, of the products of different um, skincare products and things like that. So um, we're very close. Um, there, there was a, a debate on it last year and um, I, it's not part of this current bill, but it is something that I absolutely would encourage people to raise with their local representatives if they're talking to them about plastics. Okay, and Tim said by WhatsApp, I cannot understand why the government isn't more proactive in the recycling of plastics. Other countries use recycled plastic, for example, in the construction of roadways and road surfaces. We are behind the times in this country. Okay, Emily, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Emily Duffy, who is the campaign director with a group called Uplift, and they work alongside Friends of the Earth. And on plastic and plastic use, and we are drowning in plastic, and what are we going to do moving forward? Dan in uh, the city says, the real problem we face and have faced for quite a long time is overpopulation, but because of religious beliefs, etc., we don't know how to tackle it. And talking about all over the world, not just in this country, and in inner cities worldwide especially in poorer countries everybody has to eat and everybody has to use plastics we are simply using too much but then do we do our government do do our government need to be proactive do they need to do something there's this bill this waste reduction bill that Emily spoke about that's just getting delayed upon delays upon delays the Green Party yesterday uh, yesterday evening had a motion now there was a bit of good news on that in that the government agreed to review rather than to oppose it so so hopefully some good will come out of that Uh, but we can't just sit and moan and say the problem is somebody else's we all have to do our own little bit at the same time. Now, uh, moving to a different topic, Cork County Council have been urged to move ahead with plans for a special Michael Collins trail in West Cork in a bid to end confusion, especially among tourists in relation to two Clonakilty museums celebrating the life and times of the renowned hero and revolutionary Tim Crowley of the family-run Michael Collins Centre in Castleview uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're welcome. You are about to celebrate 20 years since the opening of your uh, centre. Just outline what your collection includes. Uh, well, I suppose um, our, our centre is, is basically an interpretive centre telling the story of Michael Collins. And we have a collection of artefacts, connected, personal items connected with Michael Collins, we have a, a suitcase with a signature inside. We have a, a candlestick which once belonged to a sister who was a nun. Um, she was Helena Collins, Sister Celestine. We have a, a trouser belt that once belonged to him. And um, we, we actually have a very special artefact. It's a, a travel mirror that was given to him when he was uh, uh, appointed to go over to London to negotiate with the British. And after he was killed, it was given by the Collins family to Ned Broy, who, who had worked as a double agent for, for Collins during the War of Independence and the police. It, it was given to him as a souvenir. 
And then we do, well, during the summer months when we're open from mid-June to mid-September, we do uh, three full talks on Michael Collins every day. Um, There'll be 40-minute uh, slideshows. And outside then we have a, actually a recreation of the ambush site with um, an armoured car, replica, a Crosley tender and the touring car. Uh, these are full-size uh, replicas of, of the vehicles from the convoy. So uh, that, that's what we've been doing now for almost 20 years. OK, and the confusion is over the relatively new Michael Collins house which is in the centre of uh, Clonakilty. Do tourists turn up at the wrong place? Is that what's happening? Uh, That's that's what's been happening since they opened two years ago. Um, Now, uh, that's a wonderful attraction uh, down there in the town, and we're always sending people down there. But even even just recently there, we had a school group, a group that was coming to our place, and they actually went down there by mistake. Uh, And uh, on a funnier note, I got a phone call there just over a year ago one day from a man who was... uh, something had happened to lift down in the other museum and he rang me in our place three miles or if I could get him out of the lift so (laughs) we've had couriers arrive at our door here with packages for the the other museum and all of this and um, but you know we we approached the the council five years ago with an idea when we heard that they were opening there um, of this um, Michael Collins country or Michael Collins trade which has now become and basically, the, the plan was that uh, uh, the areas in West Cork connected with Michael Collins would be the properly signposted, the, all, the, all the actual sites, and that there would be an app created guiding people to all different uh, sites as well, and then, uh, of course, literature in hotels and all of that. Now, we, we had a lot of meetings five years ago, but um, then the, the meeting stopped, and uh, now we have to say we've had one or two meetings with the council again there recently, and the, the, the whole plan seems to be... Uh, back on tracks a bit, but um, my big fear, of course, is that uh, the uh, we're coming up now to all these anniversaries, and mm-hmm. if, if this plan isn't implemented reasonably quickly, that we'll have missed the boat, because um, there, there would be huge interest now over the next couple of years in the War of Independence and Civil War and Michael Collins and so on. And uh, I suppose Dublin, a few years ago, the 2016, there was millions pumped in up there to promote the, the rising and all of that. I think it's, it's our turn now in West Cork. And, you know, I mean, putting up signage and just highlighting all the, clearly highlighting all the places of significant significance to Michael Collins, you know, I mean, Bail Nablaw, um, Sam's Cross, um, Woodfield, where he was born. I mean, it surely wouldn't cost that much money to get proper signage up. Well, I'm not sure. I think the next stage you now from our latest meeting with the council is that they're putting out the signs to tender. And, okay. Um, now, even if that's, that's movement, pardon, that's movement. It's a step in the right direction. It is, but we were at this position four years ago as well, and it right. happened. So that's my fear. And you see, the timing now is critical. I think because you know, next um, January, twenty first of January, coming up now, it's literally weeks away, will will mark the hundredth anniversary of the the, um, the start of the War of Independence, and that was the mm. uh, Head Big Ambush up in Tipperary, and. There's even a, there was even a car connection to that because one of the uh, policemen shot by the IRA that day came from Courtshorts. Uh, he was a, he was a carkman. So we, there's so many connections between West Cork and all this period coming up now. Um, it would be a shame if if we didn't kind of take this opportunity while it's um, you know while, while, while the timing is so so important. Uh, yeah, and you know the whole idea is you get tourists into an area, and if you can keep them there for as long as possible, I mean that's the key, isn't it, for the success of tourism? So if there's other things that they can go along to see, but they need to know where it is. Well, uh, if you go to um, with the Gettysburg in the United States, now there's a, a twenty mile square mile battle site there, and see the way it's all signposted. Go over to Normandy, to the Normandy beaches there in France, the same thing. 
Um, all we need to do is look around at what other countries do for their their famous um, historical sites. And, and there is, it's not rocket science, uh, but it, it just, the whole thing has to be made easy for visitors, made clear for yeah, visitors, and yeah. packaged properly. And, you know, if, if this Michael Collins trail works, well, I, I, I think this would be just the first step, because... It is in many ways. If you guide visitors from Clonakilty over to Bayan the Blah, or we'd say off the the main uh, Cork McCroom Road to Bayan the Blah, uh, the, you need to tell them the Kilmichael Ambush site is just fifteen minutes. Away. Uh, absolutely, and absolutely. You, so we, we have so many sites. You've we say the likes of Ross Carberry there, the attack on the RAC barracks, the the, the connections with 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 O'Donnell and Rasa. We have the whole thing here in West Cork, but it needs to be packaged. And your family, you're a family-run centre, as, as I mentioned in, in, in the introduction. Is it true you've never received any government or state funding? Uh, no, that's right. Um, and yet, you're, when you, if you go on TripAdvisor, as everybody does whenever they go around the world, things, you know, top things to do, you come out as, I think it's top of the list for Clannacilty on TripAdvisor. We do. Well, so you're bringing tourists to the area. Well, look, it's hard work. And um, I suppose what people... Appreciate visitors coming to our places. We, like so many other families in West Cork, we have a connection with this history. The fact we we related to Michael Collins, we have a blood connection. My grandfather and his brother were in prison with him in 1916 in Frangoch, and then I discovered there just last week that two grandaunts have witness statements in the Irish Military Archives website. Um, or they're actually pension application files, and the amount of detail that they've put into those files about what the women folk did in West Cork during the war. And you, you weren't aware of it. No, I tell you. I was on a high for about three or four days there last week after discovering that. And, and it's interesting, the women were the real unsung heroes, weren't they? Well, there's one of my grand-aunts, Mary Crawley, she lists out, uh, there were certain weeks during the War of Independence where she was provi- providing 40 meals for the IRA in their house. And then they were carrying dispatches and uh, keeping the guns in the house while the, the men, the IRA men, went over to mass and all this kind of thing. <laughs> And it's something, uh, to be honest, that opened my eyes. I didn't realise the extent of what the, what the women did. Uh, there's, there's a lot of talk about Tom Barry and Kilmichael and so on and, and the flying columns and what the IRA men did, but they could not have done what they did without the, 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 the um, support from behind from yeah, the women's folk. Men. I mean, even as you say, like the, the, the 40 dinners, I mean, even for your aunt, your grand-aunt to have got, physically got the food... That's right. Yeah, so yeah. you know, provided the produce to make all those dinners. Yeah, and 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 Gosh. the lads could drop in at any time, day or night, and they they would have to be fed. And there was always food ready for them. There was certain houses they knew. Well, they would always be welcome there, and and you know, so they would they would have been used more frequently maybe than some of the others. Yeah, yeah, they are they are the stories that unfortunately got forgotten about and got and and it's a pity it did. It's, it really is a pity it did because they they really were in many cases as, as I say the the unsung heroes. So. How hopeful, Tim, are you that this Michael Collins trail will be up and running by next year? Well, I was at a meeting down a few weeks ago. The dossier, the plan for it is fantastic. And we have to give full credit for the people working within the council for the work they've done on it. But the main thing is to keep the momentum going now and to make sure that we can get it up and running for next year. And as I said, this hopefully will be just the start. Okay, that, that we can expand it even further. And I'd love to see places there like Kilbritton and Dreen and all the, the villages here in West Cork that they would become established uh, or they would become part of a tourist trail 
And, you know, the visitors might go in and have a point in the local Yeah, that's it. Get the people into the rural areas once they're there. Hang on to them. They've got to be fed and watered while they're there. Listen, uh, Tim, a pleasure as always to talk to you. Thank you for that. And uh, keep us posted and and keep us updated. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Bye-bye. That is uh, Tim Crowley of the family-run Michael Collins Centre in Castleview in Clan. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We are going to be talking in this hour about a call for new laws to prosecute people who make false uh, claims and exaggerate personal injury uh, cases. I saw somebody text in earlier and I think it was um, it was Heidi. Good morning to you, Heidi. Saying, morning, Patricia. I heard you speaking about fraudulent uh, claims. So what about the case of the girl who was surfing on the side of the Lewis tram and the money she was uh, paid out? Now, I don't know if we could quite call that a fraudulent case because that girl was injured but it caused consternation on social media at the weekend when she was awarded more than half a million euro for the injuries she suffered while she was it's called it's was called I don't know if it still goes on Lewis surfing and she was doing and at the time I think she was only 13 when when the accident uh, actually happened but it turns out while people were really taken aback because she had herself decided to get involved in this really stupid act of jumping onto the side of the Lewis tram as it pulled out from the station she had uh, an accident where she fell off the tram and she ended up with with quite bad head injuries it was a a subdural hematoma and it left her with significant cognitive impairment but through her mother she sued even though by the time she got to court she's now 20 but it it happened uh, seven years ago when she was only only 13 she was with a friend jumped on the side of the tram and then she fell off Uh, even though she did admit in court that it was her own fault but they sued the Lewis because they knew the company were aware that this Lewis surfing was an issue and cameras were set up in response to the problem but on the particular day that this young girl Rebecca Kelly decided to go Lewis surfing. It wasn't functioning properly so therefore the tram driver couldn't see that she was hanging off the side of the tram and then the accident happened so uh, she ended up in court. But she did admit that you know she was partially to blame that she shouldn't be doing it. She also didn't blame I heard her say in court that she didn't blame the tram uh, driver either. But what's really interesting about that story what she got just over half a million she was actually looking for 400 million euro was how much herself and her lawyers were actually suing for. But what happened in the end, they went into mediation. This young girl, her, well, her solicitors and barristers went into mediation with v- v- Violia, I think they're called, they're the company they operate at Lewis, and they agreed a settlement of €550,000, which is about one-seventh of what she had initially claimed the case was uh, worth and obviously Lewis, the Lewis company didn't admit uh, liability. But the what was also uh, a point worth mentioning was that when the settlement was brought to Justice Kevin Cross for High Court approval, which is what they have to do on Friday, he commented that there was a strong possibility that the case would have been dismissed if it had gone to trial. And of course, if that had happened, young Rebecca Kelly would have walked away with nothing. Instead, she walks away with over half a million. And then on Monday of this week, her sister 
a girl by the name of Jennifer Kelly said her sister now was afraid to leave the house because of the abuse she had received via social media. The sister said she went through eight years of hell and she suffered with this. She'll suffer with this for the rest of her life. It's bad enough without all these people abusing her because they say if this story broke on Friday and all over various social media at the weekend, people were just could not believe that somebody who had engaged in such a silly, stupid practice as jumping on the side of a tram and then unfortunately falling off and nobody would wish that she'd have uh, a serious head injury but no one could believe that she that she went to court and that she actually got that kind of money. Now I don't know if that would fall in, it won't fall in under perjury obviously because it, I mean the girl didn't, she didn't uh, she didn't lie in any way. I mean she clearly said it was her fault, partially it was her fault but the reason they were suing Lewis, the Lewis company, was because the cameras were, wasn't working. So the train driver, the tram driver, should have been able to have seen her hanging off the side of the Lewis and been able to have stopped her. And ultimately, then obviously, if the Lewis driver could have stopped her, the accident wouldn't have happened. And that was the basis of their case. But anyway, we will be talking about perjury and the need to try to do to some to try to do something to stop these false personal injury cases that are going before the court. We get to see them in the paper when they're thrown out but we're not getting to hear the ones that manage to make it through but we all know we pay more for them every time our premium comes in for our for whatever kind of insurance we're paying we're all paying a little bit more and hi Patricia when you've been talking about the presidential election are we going to see the same faces in the polling stations on Friday the same people over and over again some of them doing it for the last 30 years also what about family members they end up doing it all in the same polling stations it's not right it would be nice to see a new face in the ball it would be nice to see a new face in the polling stations who actually selects each person is it done from an office in Cork or is it or is it done locally it seems to be so wrong it should be checked out it's not fair I'm at work so I can't uh, speak I can't talk to you on air but please talk about this the people who work in polling stations I clearly remember back in Oh, a number of years ago now, I spoke with somebody from the I the INOU, the Irish National Organisation for the Unemployed, and they came out very strongly and were calling on the Minister for the Environment and Local Government to do something about the people that work in polling stations for elections and for uh, referendums. The Irish National Organisation for the, for the Unemployed on many occasions have raised the issue and questioned why unemployed people could not be taken off the dole for the day and put doing these jobs and give them an opportunity to get a little bit of a paid work. Now, anytime we look into it, we're always told that positions are available for paid work in the polling stations and in the count centres. Count centres, though, bearing in mind for a general election can be very long, long days. And if you're interested in any of those positions, then you need to make an application to the returning officer in the area where you would like to vote. Obviously, for Cork City, it's the Cork City Returning Officer dot com is the address there. And for the county, it's Cork County Returning Officer dot com. They're obviously too late for the referendum on Friday. But we're always told that the positions are there. People need apply. I don't know if we have ever heard from anyone who did apply and got the job or who did apply and didn't get the job. 
So I'd, I'd love to know. But anybody, absolutely anybody can apply. And somebody has just been is listening to me and is texting to say you can apply to work in polling stations for elections to the offices of the county sheriff and returning officer. Anyone can uh, apply. And that's exactly the point I'm making. And the for, for the county, it's Cork County Returning Officer dot com. If you want to make a note of it. And for the city, it's Cork City Returning Officer dot com. So it is open to anyone. And I know every single time we have an election, people give out about it. People give out about how it's the same. It's the same people, probably because the same people apply every time because everybody like we've known. We, well, we we have known for seven since seven years ago that this election was going to happen sometime in October of 2018. So we've known for seven years. We got the date about six, eight weeks ago, was it, when we got the actual debates that people do do have time. We know, for example, there's general elections, there's local elections and European elections going to happen next summer. So if you fancy your chances and think you'd be good at the job, either at either when people go in at the polling stations or if you'd like to be at the council centre, why not apply? Because I think that's what happens to people who end up saying, oh, it's the same people working there the whole time. They are the people who just keep reapplying uh, the whole time. 1850 Back to the debate. Uh, for me, Joan Freeman came out very well in the debate. Her reply to the lousy question by David McCullough, this was the one where he asked her how could she prove that she'd save 30,000 lives, was short, sharp and to the point without exaggeration or criticism of him that another person would have given. Michael D followed the strategy successfully successful, successfully followed by Mary Robinson in the raucous election that exposed CJ Hawhey's diversion of funds for treatment of Brian Denham's cancer and I had completely forgotten about that completely uh, forgotten about it thank you for that now someone has been on and we heard a whatsapp in about this earlier saying that there's a foreign station butting in where C103 should be can't listen anymore because of this John from Ballyvorney we checked with our technical department they say there's nothing technically wrong and they think it's something to do with high pressure so just bear with it because if it is to do with high pressure and stations sort of waving in and out it's annoying and frustrating I, I will say that to you if you can get online you could listen to us online if that's of any use to you but hopefully it will rectify itself as soon as this high pressure that we have at the moment uh, passes away Hi Patricia says Carol in relation to the tomb mother and baby homes our houses built on some of the site they will not find all the remains particularly if houses have been built on, on the site says Carol you're right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You're, you're right. And it is very possible because the nuns sold some of the land for the building of houses and there's no accurate record as to where they buried babies in June or how many babies were buried. And we will never know. I mean, I think we can all widely, wide, absolutely accept that, that we will never know exactly how many babies because we, we don't know how accurate the record keeping was particularly some of the babies that would have um, maybe died at birth. They might not all have been uh, registered but you are right, there, there is a very distinct possibility that some of those babies will never be found. The remains will never be found because houses have been built uh, on them and that must be difficult for people living in the houses because they know the land now. They know the land where the babies have been born. It must be difficult uh, for them. And by the way, I meant to tell you an update on the story that we spoke about earlier with Fiona Corcoran and this is to do with the Gardaí investigating the circumstances surrounding the death of the man in his 50s in McCroom that occurred late last night. They've arrested a man 
Uh, they arrested a man in his 60s. He is currently detained at Bandon Garda Station under Section 50 of the Criminal Justice Act. So a man has been arrested. We'll have more uh, about that story in the news at 12 midday. C103 Jobs. Ground person required to work with ACE tree specialists that's in the Cork City area, while an experienced bar person is required from Mallow Town. Previous experience in fluent English and reference is essential. Clonakilty Park Hotel, they've got vacancies for experienced bar staff for part-time positions and also a leisure centre attendant. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today. With Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. Lawyers are supporting a move to bring in a perjury act to punish people who make false personal injury claims. The Irish Small and Medium Enterprise Association have been campaigning on this issue and joining me from ISME is Chief Executive uh, Neil MacDonnell. Uh, good morning to you, Neil. Good morning, um, And it's, it's, Is it Neil or Niall? Neil. Neil. Neil, you're welcome to the programme, Neil. Now, under current perjury laws, how difficult is it to prosecute somebody from, from making a false claim? Uh, I won't go into the gories of it, Patricia, because it's a, it's a common law offence, but it is extremely difficult to prosecute. And in practice, people are only prosecuted uh, for perjury in pretty serious criminal cases. Uh, we're aware of only one um, prosecution for perjury in a, in a personal injury case. It was over a, a, a bogus car accident. And uh, in the end, the, the lady who was convicted of perjury got the Probation Act and only had to pay back uh, one third of, of the insurance company's legal fees. So it's it's extremely difficult uh, to secure a, co- a, a conviction under the common law. See, people will find that absolutely galling, Neil, to hear because, you know, you'll read in the papers, you'll see where judges are throwing out cases because they were either fraudulent or they were exaggerated. And this sense that they can walk away and nothing will happen to them. Yes, and that simply doesn't happen elsewhere. Um, People are routinely uh, questioned uh, uh, and charged and indeed convicted with perjury where they uh, issue false documents or they swear false affidavits. It routinely happens in the UK. There are several thousand convictions per year for it. And we're not claiming that this is going to make uh, the the false or exaggerated uh, insurance claim go away. But what is going to happen is that person who's filling in a PIAB claim or is rejecting their PIAB assessment and taking their personal injuries claim to court before they swear an affidavit uh, in, in, in a new world where we have a, a statutory offence of perjury, their solicitor will be giving them different advice and telling them that they, uh, you know, they are at hazard uh, if they put their name to a false claim. Yeah, another listener, when I mentioned you were coming on, so many people have views on this. Another listener is saying, what about people who have multiple uh, claims and multiple accidents? They can't be that unlucky that they get involved in so many accidents. There are, there are people out there who make a living out of these fortunate cases. Uh, 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 absolutely Patricia but it does seem and it's to our frustration that our laws on 
privacy appear to impede the ability of insurers and Gardaí to share that information. Uh, we think it is legitimate if you go, go to law and sue someone over personal injuries that someone should be, that, that the defendant, the person you're suing, should be able to see your claims history. We don't think that that's personal, private data. You know, if you publicly avail of the court system to sue someone else, that should be public and it's not a matter of personal privacy uh, uh, for, for you to keep quiet about. So um, we just find that, that at every turn in Ireland, um, the plaintiff is facilitated, is looked after, is protected by the legal system. And what the lawyers just tell us, I, I heard in your intro, you said the lawyers are in favour of this. We would like to think so. Uh, we have not had the formal commitment of any of the uh, lawyers' representative bodies yet. We would love to. And if you get them on, on the air, we'd be delighted to hear it. Um, but we, we would love to hear uh, defendants, people who are getting sued, motorists, homeowners, crash owners, small business owners, we would love if the law treated them equally but really what the legal lobby says to us the whole time is look if you don't like it you can just the the outcome if you don't like the result well then just appeal it to the circuit court or the high court. The people who say that know full well that small business owners and motorists cannot afford to do That's so. the problem. That's the problem. By the way, it was Ken uh, Murray, the director of the Law Society, the body which represents solicitors. He says that society has long been on record as supporting the criminal prosecution of fraudulent uh, claims. He says that the lawyers have wanted it. But I know the the point a lot of people make, they make a lot of money out of it uh, um, uh, as well. And the whole insurance costs uh, thing, Neil, because this isn't a victimless crime. We all end up paying for these fraudulent cases. We absolutely do, and you and it isn't just the financial cost. So yes, uh, you do see a headline cost when you get your motor insurance or your home insurance renewal. Uh, if you have children in school, you'll see that you're been asked to pay a sub to the school, and most schools, certainly in Dublin anyway, are now asking parents to pay a per child personal insurance fee. I, I don't know if you've seen that. Um, so we are all actually paying for that in in money, but we're also paying for it non-financially. So uh, you will see that a lot of the schools now have no run policies in the yard. Yeah. They have no ball play outside uh, a pitch where there's a referee. Um, you you will also see that creches, um, I know now that creches are been told that the children are only insured for indoor activities, so the creche isn't allowed to let them out into the back garden if, if the sun is shining. Um, we know that football clubs are been told, uh, um, GAA and, and rugby clubs are been told what activities can and cannot be covered when they're organising social events. So the effects of this are really insidious and they're everywhere. You know, So there are non-financial costs to this as well as straight financial costs. But we've become a very litigious society. I mean, I certainly remember, remember when I was growing up and going to school and if somebody fell in the playground, even if somebody fell and broke a leg or broke an arm, nobody sued the school. And that's a cultural point you're making, Patricia, and and I I would acknowledge it and endorse it. What we find really frustrating is if if your child falls in your kitchen or in your back garden, 
you know, you tend to view that as a misfortunate accident, uh, one of those things that just happens. But if it happens in someone else's kitchen or someone else's garden, there is a, a thankfully, a minority of people who view it as an opportunity to pin liability for that misfortune on someone else and to extract money from them. And that's what we call it. it. This is an extractive business. It's like mining. You're you're taking away money from someone else for something that arguably is unavoidable or would have happened anyway, or you certainly would not have viewed a liability to have arisen if it happened in, in your own house. And insurance costs. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Uh, uh, Nile, are they continuing to cripple small and and you know your your members, small and medium uh, businesses? Yes, they are, and it. Uh, wh- what we have found is that motor premiums have tended to plateau over the last uh, year or so. In some cases, they're coming down. Problem is, they're coming down from an extremely high base. You know, they effectively doubled over a five-year period, and then they've come down. The insurers are telling us they've come down fourteen percent. In in reality, that still means they're 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 up. Uh, you know, they're, they're up very substantially. Uh, the other issue for small businesses is that other categories of insurance, uh, public liability and employ, uh, uh, um, employer's liability, are also going up. So um, we typically have small businesses, especially those that um, involve public footfall or uh, distribution in any form of vehicle, those businesses are getting hammered. They're still getting hammered, no matter what, no matter what the insurers are telling you. Okay, so back to where we started, the need for to make perjury a statutory offence. It's it's with the Oireachtas, isn't it, at this stage? It's in the Senate? It's 
Senator Paulico Kajic is uh, uh, tabled uh, this bill last week in the Senate and it's at second stage this evening at quarter past five in the Senate. People will be able to see it on a rock this TV, but we would love if people got on to their TDs, to their councillors, to any senators they know this this is a piece of legislation that is long overdue. We're the only common law jurisdiction on the planet that does not have a statutory offence of perjury. And I would ask uh, any of your listeners to please, 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 uh, you know, write a letter, send an email, send a tweet in support of Senator Okajic. He is really doing a, a great social service for all of us. OK, we will follow this one very, very uh, closely. Um, Neil, because I can see the amount of people that infuriates people whenever any of these cases hit the papers or, you know, and I mean, even at the weekend and, and we mentioned it uh, only early, earlier on, and I know it wasn't a fraudulent case, but the case of the young girl with the Lewis surfing, people saw that as ridiculous. This was something that she engaged in herself, a very stupid thing to be doing. And yet she gets a big payout. Yeah, no, look, the, those are always very hard cases and especially when you're dealing with a minor. Um, you know, they're rarely good cases uh, for people to engage with as, as a, you know, uh, as a basis of, of the whole insurance problem. But realistically, would that, have, would that liability have been conceded or such an amount of money agreed to in any other jurisdiction? We really don't think so, irrespective of the merits of the case. Well, I, well, I thought it was funny to hear the judge say that uh, when he was agreeing the settlement, had it come before him, he said more than likely it would have been thrown out. Well, you know, they are the risks that yeah. a defendant like Veolia runs. Uh, it's, uh, I personally don't agree with a judge saying something like that after the fact because it's entirely hypothetical. Um, I'm disappointed that the judge said that um, because, because the settlement had already been agreed to. You know, the, the case was run in the court and it was up in front of Judge Cross and the parties came to a settlement. The judge should have, in, in our view, should have just signed off it and said no more. Left it at that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, Neil, we'll leave it there and as I say, we'll follow this one closely in the meantime. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Neil MacDonnell, who is the Chief Executive of the Irish Small and Medium Enterprises Association on the law of perjury and why we need it on our statute books. It's hard to believe that we are the other, the all other Western jurisdictions and our neighbours across in the UK all have it on their statute books, which then makes it much easier to prosecute the offence. But because it's common law over here, it's almost, almost impossible uh, to do it. Tim says, if a case is not contested, agree with previous claim history being revealed. It might be neg- negligent, but the person claiming should be examined. I don't quite know uh, the point you're making there, uh, Tim, but I do know it is one of those cases that only comes out after somebody has brought a case and has either received their money or it's been thrown out, where you'll hear a long list of other claims that the person has made, that they're like serial claimers. Uh, As I said when I was chatting with Neil, it is almost like they're making a living out of being so unlucky having all of these accidents and then God help them having to go to court and sue for huge sums of money. Very unfortunate, misfortunate people who just get involved uh, uh, in accidents way more than anybody else uh, does. John Paul taking your calls, 1850 333 103. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 
103 103. And don't forget, it is Wednesday. So that means Peter Dowdell will join us later on on the programme. I can already see some gardening questions coming in for Peter. Uh, get them in as early as possible because for the last number of weeks we haven't been able to get through all of the questions. So the earlier you get them in, we try and run it, we try and be as fair as possible and do it that way. So the earlier you get them in to us, the better the chance of me putting their question on your behalf to a Peter. There is a coffee morning going on in Bailnamuriv near McCrew. It's happening this Saturday. It's in Tyke O'Leary's Bar. It's in aid of breast cancer for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Of course, that's running right across the month of October for the Irish Cancer Society. And the Bantry Bay Kelp Campaign are holding a bric-a-brac sale this week. It's tomorrow, Thursday, again on Friday and on Saturday from 10am to 6pm. On Saturday, they'll, they'll see the old cinema in Bantry transformed into a spooktacular family fun day kicking off Halloween in style. All proceeds from the sales will go to the legal fund to stop mechanical extraction of kelp from Bantry Bay. And the fundraising concert that was held in the Riverside Park Hotel in McCroom on Friday of last weekend. The organisers, we, we were mentioning it and encouraging people to go along because it was a fundraiser in aid of Cork Penny Dinners and the Simon community. Well, the organisers got back on to us to say that they raised €1,405 from that fundraising concert. So if you went along there last Friday night, you can pat yourself on the back and well done. And as I say, proceeds to be divided between Cork Penny Dinners and Simon Community, two very worthwhile causes. Cork Today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Now, tomorrow night, there is what's been described as a unique forum event for West Cork women in agriculture. It's going to be staged at the Munster Arms Hotel uh, at eight o'clock tomorrow night. It's been organised by the Skibbereen and Bandon Credit Union, and they've kindly asked me to go along and emcee the event. It's aimed at women involved in farming on a day-to-day basis and those who manage farm and family finances and the administration that goes with it. There's going to be a number of keynote speakers, and one of them is Fanola Colgan. Fanola is with Mental Health Ireland and tomorrow night she'll address attendees on the topic of managing stress and the five ways of well-being and I'm delighted to say Fanola's taken time out uh, to talk to us today on the programme. Good morning uh, yeah, to you. Yeah, good morning uh, Patricia. You're, you're, I'm, you're, I'm, actually, I'm actually with a women's group here in Avon and we're just literally looking at the five ways to well-being. Very good. They're, they're very creative in, in how they, they interpret it and apply it to their own lives. Say. So yeah, so I'm looking forward to going down your way tomorrow. Good. Um, it'll be into the deep south. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. have have you any connections with Cork? Oh, indeed, I have very very nice ones. I spent my formative uh, years in UCC. Great. <laughs> so um, for very good years and um, doing a kind of a traditional arts degree, studying English and history. And somewhere along the line, I, I found myself coming into this area of work. Um, with with the national organisation uh, Mental Health Ireland, I had worked in the health services as well, and um, I'm formerly from Lismore in County Waterford. So, kind of, I have a southern base in my interest. Yeah. So, do you so, so do you travel all over the country then with Mental no, Health Ireland? No, no, no. I have I have my base is in the Midlands. I'm I'm living and and um, in Westmead, and so my base is actually um, the Midlands and what they call CHO8 area. 
um, the Midland Counties and yeah. Mead and Louth, say. So, but, so I'm not quite sure. I got the invite. So uh, they've given you, the they've given you a pass so. to come to the Rebel County and you've willingly accepted it. Now, Absolutely. Is, is, Home territory. <laughs> Up Cork, as they say. Up Cork. Is farming life more stressful today than ever before? Well, I, I, I'm, I, I am involved in the farming through, through my family. Um, I, I often say I have a husband for a farmer or a farmer for a husband. <laughs> I've worked my family in the, in the farm background. And I think basically what's not maybe recognised about farming is that farming is a workplace. And when you're in a workplace and you're in a workplace there with C103, like you have supports, you have colleagues, um, you have human resources, you have all of that stuff. But in farming... That farming is a workplace, but they don't have all those kind of tangible resources, and so it can be stressful. And and, and I know there's a lot of talk about isolation and loneliness in farming, and there is a danger that might be overstated, um, because as we all know, in especially in rural communities, the mental system is still very much alive and well, yeah. and people will come and support each other, but there will be times when people may feel isolated. Um, and as we know, you could be living in a very, very busy city, busy town and feel lonely. Absolutely. And feel Absolutely. So, you know, but it, when, it, it, when it comes to stress, do we all cope with stress differently? Well, I, I think we all cope with stress differently. And I think our makeup to that is our resilience, uh, how we cope with it, um, what supports. Um, I, I guess the biggest challenge around stress is acknowledging it and owning up to it. And not feeling, gosh, will people think I'm not able to cope because I've, I've come under pressure, I've come under stress. And let, let's face it, like stress is part of life. It can be very motivating, but equally we can ex- be exhausted from it and feel kind of burnt out and strained. And and that's when we can become more vulnerable then to poor mental health and our well-being can go on decline. So it's important to understand the impact of stress. And as you've said, Patricia, People will respond to it differently. But I do think a lot has to do with a person's own makeup. Okay, so what are your top tips to deal with well, stress? Well, I, I, like, I like the five ways to well-being. It's an evidence-based uh, approach. So do you know the way I say you have a recommendation to eat five greens a day? Yeah. So um, the new economic forum in, in London kind of identified in the mid-2007 there that a lot of communities, and our own communities would say bereft of people, uh, due to emigration, loss of job, employment, um, a lot of difficulties in communities. So they looked and said, what can we do to enhance community life, family life? And they came up with the five ways to well-being, like connect, be active, take notice, keep learning, and and give. And what, what they'll say, and I'll explore this with the group tomorrow night, is when we kind of engage with them on a daily basis, we're enhancing our self-esteem. We're enhancing our well-being. So, like, connect. If I'm stressed out, who do I need to connect with? Um, it, the giving kind of like if I give my time, if I give a smile, if somebody gives me a smile, can that cheer me up? Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll work to them. Um, other ways of managing stress clearly will be exercise, um, recognizing, you know, if you're not eating well, Um there's quite, you know, the stress. Yeah, I, th- I, I think that exercise, that exercise yeah. is a good one because sometimes people, yeah. if they're feeling very stressed, they'll say, I feel absolutely exhausted. exhausted. And you're yeah. saying to the exhausted person, get out and have a good walk, get out and have a run. You think, oh, yeah. I can't get off the chair. No. But yet yeah. if the person does it, they will tell yeah. you afterwards how yeah. much better they felt. Yeah, and even if it's just like, if it, even if it's just to go outside the door, 
out to your back garden, out to your hallway, out to your front door, and just kind of feel the freshness of the air around you. That can kind of make a difference to your outlook and to to your attitude. But also kind of also to remember, like exercise doesn't always have to be the walk, the run, the jog. Like you could get involved in gardening, you could get involved in other things. Um, I know, and there's a lot of opportunities out there nowadays with community groups and clubs to be active in a, in a different kind of a way and to make the connection with each other, I think, Patricia. And also when you talk, we spoke at the start about that mehel, that wonderful yes. sense yeah. of community that we have in, yeah. in rural areas. Yeah. But you do need to have the connection. You do need to ask. You do need to tell somebody, I'm, yeah. I'm in a bit of bother here. I need a bit of a dig out. And people yeah. will be yeah. only too happy to come yeah. and help. Yeah. And sometimes I'm not sure now, I could be open to correction this, sometimes people are too proud to ask. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think it might be very much a rural thing. Oh gosh, wouldn't want them to be knowing that. And and sure, like we're all in the same kind of melting pot of life and, and none of us, like, you know, we can, we can exist from thriving to languishing and everything in between that. And and just kind of being aware of that, and that my story probably at the end of the day is no different from maybe somebody else down the road, because we're all kind of in the game of life, trying to do the best for ourselves, our families, our places of work, whatever it is we're engaged with. But I think because farming is so rural and by its very nature is an isolating environment, um, and it's all about work, 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 because I've seen this clearly. I didn't grow up in farming, so I've learned that that, you know, it's very much a, a 24-7 commitment. Um, I've, I've had the experience here going out with a child for communion and where are you? <laughs> like to, to, you know, and, and next thing, of course, you're the last in the car and, oh, oh, where are you? So, you know what I'm saying? That yeah. it's all the time can be, even for a family, it can be kind of stressful as well. If there's something, an animal sick or something has to be tended at, at, at the cost of maybe a family event. You need, you need so, to look after yourself. That's what it's all you about. You need to look after yourself. Listen, sometimes we, you have to let things go, I think, as well, Patricia. We look forward to, to meeting you tomorrow night, um, uh, yeah, well, Finola, and we'll let you get yeah. back into your group in Navan. But yeah, thank no, you for we're that. Just, we're just wrapping up there. No, and I'm looking forward to going okay. down to Bandon tomorrow. We look forward so, to seeing you. Thank yeah, you for lovely. that. Bye bye. Bye bye. Finola Colgan of Mental Health Ireland is a one of the keynote uh, speakers tomorrow night at that special event. It's, it's a unique form and it's aimed at not been sexist here at all it's for the women it's for West Cork women in agriculture and the Monster Arms Hotel at 8 o'clock I know that the Skibbery and Abandoned Credit Union were looking for people to register but I have been told that people can simply turn up uh, tomorrow night and it will start at uh, 8 o'clock other uh, speakers will include Gronia Hurley who's a business and technology advisor with Chagas she'll speak on farm planning and on audits and Albert Wolfe is a solicitor and he's going to speak about succession planning and securing the future of farm businesses and then the second half uh, will be we'll do like kind of a roundtable discussion where we'll speak with some women who are involved, local women who are involved in farming and there's an opportunity if anybody in the members of the public uh, want to ask a question anybody of any of those attending but that is on in the uh, Monster Arms Hotel tomorrow night, looking forward to that in Bandon at 8 o'clock and actually when Finola was talking about getting out into to the garden and gardening, we'll be, we'll be going gardening with Peter Dowdle later on in the programme today but but it also put me in mind a book that I've just finished reading, Alice Taylor's uh, new book, where she's looking at sort of the simple things in life and where we can all retreat when we need to find that me time, when we need to get off the roller coaster of life and where you just need to calm and be calm and be still. And so much of 
Alice's latest book is to do with nature and getting out into her own garden and just that sense of being at peace and being at one with nature. It is a de- it's just a beautiful book. It's just it's one of those books that I sort of I sighed when when I was sit down after reading it because it just made me feel so relaxed reading it. It's gorgeous. We're going to be speaking with Alice about her new book on the programme on this coming Friday. And actually tomorrow we'll have another well-known author on the book. We're going to a well-known author on the programme talking about her book. Cecilia Ahern will join me to first thing tomorrow morning. She's doing a round of talks. So I'll have to get her on and off the programme very quickly because she's got a, I know a, a lot of interviews to get through tomorrow. But she has brought out a new book which is 30, the stories of 30 different women. It is a very different book. If you're a fan of Cecilia Ahern, this is a very different book and we'll talk about that more tomorrow uh, when she joins us first thing tomorrow morning. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A number of people are rather annoyed about the jobs at polling stations. It's one of those things that comes up every time we have an election. Normally, though, it comes up on the day of the election. People start giving out, saying, how do you apply for the jobs? And it's very unfair. It's the same people. And I didn't know. You never hear those jobs being advertised. Just to give you a sample of some of the calls uh, that we have received. Tim, though, on this is to do with voting, but a slightly different issue. Tim says, in our town, there are at least six or seven places where which could be used for voting. Instead, what do the powers that be do? They close the local school and they give the 20 odd teachers the day off. Let them man the polls. Uh, what is wrong with having an election on a, a Saturday, says uh, Tim. Someone else says, in my polling station, it appears the person in charge brings in their own people. It's the same jobs for the boys. It's the same every single uh, time. Hi Patricia, some people who have been contacted you think a job at a polling station is a walk in the park. Well, I can tell them it's not so. You have to do for an exam online. Did they know that? You have to go to training sessions. And don't forget, you have to work from 6.30 in the morning until 10.30 at night. It is not the easiest of jobs. Pat says, Patricia, the polling clerks are paid about €350 Euro for the day. Crazy money. Check it out. Half would be loads of cash for the day, says Pat. And then some calls into John Paul and worked in a polling station for the last 36 years. She gave the number to somebody to apply, but the person said they wouldn't work for €4.80 an hour because they'd lose their social welfare payment for the day. And says uh, you also need to remember the length of the working day, 6.30 in the morning to 10.30 at night. The person who she suggested apply for the job says it wouldn't be worth the money for the length of time she'd be away from her home for the day. And Emer said, I was a presiding officer at a station for over 30 years. You only apply once for the job. And then once you're in, you automatically qualified after that. But then you have to be a polling clerk first before you become a presiding officer. And if for any reason you can't attend on the day of a vote or a referendum, you lose your position. I think, though, that that may have changed, says Emer. But Emer's point is interesting. Once you get the job once, because that's what people are complaining about, that it's it, it being the same faces. And if that be the case, once you get the job, then obviously they contact you every time. Because, of course, these jobs don't come up every year. There isn't an election every year. There isn't a referendum every year. There isn't a presidential election or election. 
you know, they happen every number of uh, years, but they're they're not every year. But is is that the way it operates? That once you're in, you're in, and then they just contact you to say, as you are aware, there's an election coming up. Are you available to join us? Cathy uh, joins me on the phone line. Uh, good morning, to Cathy. Good morning. Um, yes. You you've worked in a polling station. I have, yes. Okay, how did that come about? I'll tell you, about 40 years ago, I decided, well, I could do this job, so I applied. Needless to say, I didn't get a reply. So I just said, oh, all tied up, forgot about it. Uh, Some years later, when I was reasonably good to go to a mass at night, I met my neighbour coming out, and we were discussing the upcoming election. And I said, oh, I said, I don't think I'll even vote, telling her I had applied. And previously, a few years, and that I got no response, yes, I or no. And she said, that's funny. Now, I'm not taking up my position this year. I'll put in your name. So she put in my name and I got the job for the next 30 years. And they contacted you? They contacted me. She had gone back to work. I was a polling clerk for a lot of the time and I did presiding officer maybe on three occasions. And my job really was from half five in the morning because it was an outside station and it was practically 11 at night. Again, I got home. And is it paid by the hour or is it it a one-off The most I got for presiding officer into my little fat fist (laughs) was 440 euros because I just thought all my birthdays had come together. Then the minimum I got at the time for presiding officer or for the uh, polling clerk was about 270. Now, that varied according to the number of elections going on slightly. Oh, if, yeah, if there's an election you know, and a referendum, if you're handing... Yeah. three or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but your point is, it was who you knew got you the who job. who I knew got you the job. That eventually put my name in. Now, they had very good contacts. Some yeah. had worked in the system for years and they were a lovely family. And I really did appreciate her because I didn't work outside the home. And I didn't feel guilty applying in the first place because I felt it would be just something extra. But what I do resent is some professional people actually take days off from very good jobs to do the polling jobs. Yeah. And I do think that is grossly unfair. It is not the brain of Britain. As a polling clerk, you just cross off the numbers. As people arrive, you just draw a line and at the end of the evening then you, I would always anyway, add up my list to correspond to the dockets given out, you know, to mm. rolling slips. Now, I believe some people aren't too fussy, but I'd be very fussy about balancing. And did it always balance? Oh, always, thank God. And I was always very good at tatting. It was one of my best <laughs> features. I could tat up 40 things and cross tat and it was my... Yeah, maths was your thing. It was. Yeah. And but, but, but Cathy, as soon as you got the first, the very first year when your neighbour put in the name for you saying this is a nice, good, honourable person, she'll be able to do the job and obviously you got it based on that. And then from there on in, every time there was an election... Well, six weeks before, I uh, got a letter saying, was I available? 
So you didn't have to reapply? No, never. And then about eight or nine years ago, I just decided the day was too long and I had had my stint and I bowed out. Now, um, it is a long day and I had arthritis then and I felt, you know... You'd done enough. I was slower, I felt. I was still very capable, but... I just didn't want it at that stage. Is it, a very, it. is it a very boring day? It is boring, but on the other hand, we were in a country, a big country area. The people, I made fantastic friends. They would want to bring you a newspaper. They brought us plants. <laughs> I'd always put in some sweets for children and little goodies like that. And once three o'clock comes or four you're kind of over the hump and you get a false energy. The worst time is about 12 to 3. And you, do you bring a packed lunch or do they oh, feed yeah, you? Oh, yeah, several bringing... of those. And you can be making tea every hour once people are there when it's not slack. Okay. That would be an adjoining room. And did you ever get involved in counting? No, the count I didn't no. want to. No. Did you get offered? No, no, not really, no, because okay. I think one day is more than enough. Absolutely, but I'm just thinking you would have been good considering you, you, you were good at the old maths. But it's but but your point, and I think this is what most irks people. I don't think anybody would have taken umbrage your offence to seeing you in the polling station because you were stay you know a stay at home mother who you know who got this job whenever yeah. the election came up. But I think the the people that you talk about who you you know in your heart and soul yeah. they've taken a day off work. I I had a family member who had a really good job in the civil in a part of the civil service in a different part of the country right. now, who every time took a day off she just yeah, took, booked a day's holidays that. and then and then went in and, and got and it was you know seen as oh but extra I'll put that towards my holidays and it used to just infuriate yeah. me um, and you feel the same that it should go to unemployed people it should because a lot of unemployed people are very intelligent and you don't have to be the brain of Britain to crack yeah. off numbers. Yeah, yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah, because somebody was saying there's training, you have to do online training. Listen, that's a gimmick. You do answer about 20 questions. I know somebody that does that in jig time. Yeah. That came in in the last three years. They're just making it an important job. And you can hear that in my voice. Yeah. So you, so you reckon throw it open every time? I open, open it up to people? I think it should be a fairer system. Okay. Definitely. Okay. Okay. And by, now, by the way, your polling station was it? A, it I can just see this is this is kicking off and annoying people. Was it a school that had to close down for the day? It was. It yeah. was actually Watergrass Hill, and it was a lovely area. I made lovely friends there, and the children had the day off, and the teachers would come in to vote, and I made friends with teachers with. The caretaker and his wife, I adored them. I'd always bring magazines, you know, all hello and VIP and give them to them at the end of the day and any leftover food. And the odd time I'd throw them an old tenor because they worked so hard. But people are just annoyed about the fact that schools are clo- closing. Like yeah, some, Somebody said earlier, you know, there's six or seven places. Uh, Tim said there's six or seven places where voting could be used in our town and yet they will close the school. And Margaret says, would you believe the principal of our local school is actually the uh, presiding officer at the polling station? So getting a day off school and getting paid. No, I don't approve of it. In yeah. fact, we are minding three grandchildren now on Friday, courtesy of the school closing. 
Yeah. From of, her. Of course, you, you, the, I'm just realising that it's, it's, you and it's going into, it's going into midterm. Yeah, sure. They're off now till they're, it's um, Monday they're, week. They're off for another week. Yeah, so for work, so for working parents. It is awkward. Yeah. And, um, no, I don't approve because there are community halls and different uh, places that yeah. could be made available. Yeah, Eileen in Mitchestown says they should use community centres instead of schools. Yeah. I know teachers who are overjoyed when an election is called as they know they will get a longer weekend and this this particular time it's a bank holiday weekend and it's the start of midterm so they're getting an extension of uh, midterm uh, and uh, Aideen, Aideen actually in Watergrass Hill says I totally agree with Tim who raised this issue early, earlier. Why do schools have to close for every election? Every area surely has a community centre or a parish hall yeah, that can be mine used. have days off now too. They're thrilled. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah, OK, I'll let you go, Cathy. Okay. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks all. thanks for joining us. Thank John in Cove says the schools should remain open and have the voting done in the local post office instead of kicking all the students out of school for another day. The teachers have enough holidays as it is. It's midterm break starting next Monday. Also, teachers will, will. Also, it's just some teachers get the extra day. The polling station could start at nine a.m. and finish at six. If people can't make it, then it's tough. Says Charlie Gove. Ah, oh, well, that's not very fair. You can you can say that that it's nine nine to six. I mean, you're completely excluding people who have to travel to work. I mean, I'm one of the ones who get. Into, I'm normally in the polling station after eight, and there's a steady queue of people who will be heading. You know, who are on the commute to work. And the fact that it's a Friday, if you have people living away from who are working and students who are studying away from home, having it open until half ten at night, it gives those people the chance to get home either after the day's work or to get home after the day at college and to be able to vote. So I'm I'm very much in favour of having the very long polling out polling station hours. I do think that that is uh, a good idea. But as to the closing of the schools, yeah, there's a lot of people really not, just not very happy with that at all. And just on some of the candidates, a couple of nice texts in because there'll be a moratorium from Mon- tomorrow. We'll be able to talk about it tomorrow morning if the moratorium kicks in. Let's check with John Paul. I think it kicks in after we go off air. But anyway, a couple of people just want to put in their tuppence halfpenny worth for various uh, candidates. Somebody thought Leonie Rieda did particularly well last night. She comes across as a very down-to-earth person. And somebody else is a supporter of Sean Gallagher. I thought he came across very well. Middle-aged, respectable. And he's a handsome man. I <laughs> I'm really taken aback that people are commenting on looks. We have Sean Gallagher described as a handsome man. And then we had Leonie Rieda earlier being described, even though the person who described her said, I'm probably not being very PC. I uh, thought she was had a very hot look uh, about her. I don't think your looks should come into it in any way at all. Uh, nothing whatever to do with it. And John, on that very worrying issue that's coming out about the fatal incident that happened in McCroom, and we've now heard, of course, that somebody has been arrested man in his 60s has been arrested and has been taken for questioning to abandon Gardaí. That has prompted John to say, we've had two deaths in McCroom in the last number of weeks. Why does this the person, why does the person have to be brought to abandon Garda station? Are McCroom not able to deal with it? Surely every Garda station should be able to sort out when accidents, very tragic accidents like this involving deaths when they happen in their own area. Surely they should, they should be... Uh, d- taken to the wrong guard the station. They are investigated in the wrong guard the station. I'm assuming that they're taken to to Bandon guard the station is because Bandon is the divisional headquarters 
and that's where a lot of the uh, head investigators will be based I'm open to correction but I take it that that's the reason that they go to like for Bandon it's for West Cork Um, it's for Moy isn't it it's for North Cork and that's all around the country it's the very same they're all broken up into divisional uh, different divisions and then there will be one main guard the station and then all of the other guard the stations I'm open to correction Uh, but John I take it that's the reason when it happens in McCroom because it's under the divisional headquarters that's based out of Bandon. That's why they are taken to Abandon. 1850 333 103. John Paul taking your calls. Gardening questions, please, for Peter. I can see a lot coming in. Keep those coming in. Or if you want to text or WhatsApp a gardening question, you can. 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie a reminder that the fourth annual Scarecrow Festival in Lep that continues today. Bingo is on tonight in the Adele Quinn Hall in Cantark. A half eight start with a jackpot this week of €5,250. New, new players are particularly uh, welcome. Jared Butler, the light keeper at the Galley Head Lighthouse, is guest speaker at the Dugas Clonakilty Heritage Lecture. It's in the Parish Centre tomorrow night at half eight. Jared featured in the recent RT series on Ireland's Greatest Lighthouse. Kilmurray Historical Society are launching their book on the village school this Friday. It's in the Independence Museum in Kilmurray. And a coffee morning in aid of breast cancer awareness will be held at Tygo Leary's Barn near McCroom this coming Saturday morning from 10am to 4pm. All are welcome. Court today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See Breedhaven.ie. C103. And I don't know if you were listening to us uh, yesterday, I'm sure it was around, it was in the final hour of the programme. We were contacted by Neil in Abandon who wanted to put out a thank you to uh, a young woman who had come to his aid. Neil's lovely Labrador dog, a five year old Labrador dog for no apparent reason, started having seizures and uh, Neil had to get the dog to the vet. So he headed into uh, Bandon. When he arrived in Bandon, he went to take the dog out of the car and the dog collapsed. And it was a Labrador, big, big dog. And he wasn't able to pick the dog up. The dog was, you know, too heavy and, you know, obviously had gone into, had had some kinds of a seizure and was literally a dead weight. And this young woman in a car drove past and heard Neil shouting for help and she pulled up and she ran to the veterinary practice and got the help that Neil needed and the dog was taken in. Now and then she she went along her merry merry way. So Neil contacted us yesterday because she said he she just he, he wanted to get the message out to that young lady just to say a thank you to her that she had come to his aid and that you know in the panic that was going on he didn't get her name or anything and he just wanted to say thank you now what I didn't realise when I was talking to Neil because I could hear in his voice he was getting upset and um, I started to ask him about how the dog was and how the dog was doing and unfortunately his beautiful dog had passed away and he literally was heartbroken when he spoke to us yesterday I mean my heart went out to him and even in the midst of all of his heartbreak he wanted to get the message out to say thank you to the, to the woman who had helped and we said at the time we didn't know if she would be listening but if she wasn't listening perhaps somebody would know who she was because it was one of those unusual stories that if it happened to you you'd go home or you'd go to your work colleagues and you'd say 
oh God, you'd never guess what happened. I passed, I saw this man and the poor dog was collapsed and I ran and I got the vet and I went off and, and you know, and I'm sure she herself will be wondering what had happened to the dog. Well, I'm delighted to say that the lady in question was listening and she contacted us yesterday. She's a lady by the name of Sharon and she... Um, She's not, she, she said she's not a fan of dogs. I don't know if she's afraid of dogs, but she's not the best when it comes to dogs. So she said for that reason, she couldn't physically go over and do anything to help Neil pick the dog up. All she literally could do was when she realised that the vet's practice was close, was run in, raise the alarm and say, you need to come and you need to come quick. And actually, I think, Sharon, you did the best thing because I think even if you had, even if you were a dog lover and you were able to help Neil pick pick up the dog, you know, you would have been as slow trying to get the dog up off the ground and getting into the vet's practice where the, the experts were able to come out straight away and do what they need needed to do straight away. And uh, now, unfortunately, it was too late in, in Neil's case. Now, I'm not saying whether he, even if he'd got to the vet on time, would they've been able to have saved him? I don't know if they're, if they're going to do an autopsy or what happens in a situation like that to find out why what appeared to be a very healthy dog could die so quickly. And uh, poor, poor old Neil was heartbroken. But I just want to acknowledge Sharon and thank you because you did you did a very good thing and you helped somebody who really was distressed because I don't know if other cars had passed by and hadn't done what Sharon had done. But Sharon reacted straight away, even though she's got a kind of a fear of dogs, but she jumped in there straight away to, to help out. So well done. And I'm glad to hear that you heard Neil speak yesterday and we're going to pass on phone numbers to each other because I'm, I'm sure uh, Neil would want to have a quick word with her just to, to, for him privately to say he's own thanks to her. Some more of your calls coming, some of your texts coming in. I can still see texts coming in for Peter. Keep those coming, please, because he's going to join us in a couple of minutes on the programme. To elaborate on an earlier text as a texter, if a claim, this is on litigious claims, if a claim is not contested, then it's not perjury. I see nothing wrong with asking a claimant their litigation history. Sometimes there could be mistakes or accidents, not always the fault of the person sued. And this should be a warning. The trouble is on the way if you know for sure that the person who's making the claim against you has had six or seven claims in the last number of years and job applications. Didn't know this. There's often a question about accidents and claims history. I did not know that, that that's a question that can come up on a job application uh, form. On the people working in the polling stations and the presiding officers and all of that. Somebody says, surely two family members are enough, not partners and babysitters. That is way too much. It's all it's everyone who's in the clique. Check it out. Someone else says, yes, you can make 350 euro for the day working in the polling uh, station. And here in one North Cork town, we have a father and a son and wife all doing it. Three out of the one household. How fair is that? That's a nice little earner, is it not, for that particular household. Hi, Patricia says, Marie, on voting in schools. What a waste of our hard-earned taxes. That was stopped, actually, in Whelan, for example, some years ago because one resourceful pensioner spoke up. I mean... What is it costing the country? If all the schools, if you tot up all the schools that have been used, the teachers still have to get paid, the admin staff, the SNAs, everybody working on that day who suddenly gets a day off, they still get uh, paid, not to mention the inconvenience to working parents. There are halls and venues in all, in every single town and village where 
that can be used as a polling station. So local people need to speak up. That's the only way we will change things, says Marie, who, by the way, is a fan of Sean Gallagher. I'd love to know what happened in Whelan, Marie, if you can give us more information on that. You say a resourceful pensioner spoke up. Who Who did the resourceful pensioner speak up to? How did you get it? I, I mean, I'm assuming from the text it was held in the in the local national school and then moved to some kind of a community hall. I would love to know how that was actually done, because I don't think you're going to get teachers complaining that the school is used. I mean, maybe you do. I mean, there's no point. The teachers are all at school at the moment. Maybe we'll ask them that question on Friday when the schools are closed. Are there teachers who really dislike the idea that their school is used as a polling station and they see it as a complete and utter inconvenience and they would way prefer to be in with their children than having a a long weekend and in this particular case an extended midterm break. If there are any teachers... Uh, maybe listening to this later on on the repeat tonight if they want to contact us. We certainly would like to hear from a teacher who's against the school been using been used as a polling station. I have a funny feeling we won't hear from many teachers who will feel in that position, but then only time will tell. 1850 and just another quick one on perjury. James in Brewery says solicitors are professional people and they should prepare a case for their client and they should prepare a case for their client perjury I can't see being enforced in this country as it goes to the highest power in the land that is why I feel they are dragging their feet with this particular rule I feel those that are involved in accidents whereby somebody is injured and then they go after the other car or driver for money they should be questioned more and these people should be chased after especially if the claims are set up or for the purpose of making a claim well I think that's exactly James the point that's been made is to try to, that's why we need a law on perjury, to try to stop people actually setting up and staging these particular cases. But it just seems that even though there's a lot of people have been calling for better laws on perjury and to follow the lead that's taken in every other Western country or our neighbours just across the water, make it easier to prosecute for the offence. But for whatever reason, it seems the government seem to be dragging their feet on it. And now we have this perjury and related offences bill, which has been introduced by Senator Padraig O'Keda, supported, interestingly enough, by Senator Michael McDool, who is himself a uh, barrister and a number of other barristers. It's been debated. It's at the second stage. It's actually t- today it's in the Senate. We need to push for that bill. We need to get that bill in and passed through and made into law and then you can go after people for perjury. Then you can go after people who exaggerate claims or who actually set up a claim because, you know, I I mentioned it when I did my interview with Ismay about it. This is not a victimless crime. We all pay for it. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Connect with C103 on Twitter now. Search for our Twitter handle at C103Cork. Uh, and uh, Peter Dowdle joins me um, I'm just looking at so many questions coming in Peter Dowdle the Irish Gardener uh, joins me huge amount of questions uh, coming in to us good afternoon to you Peter I suppose that's a good sign Trish good is, afternoon isn't it just isn't it just and the we- now the weather is to turn and we're in for this cold spell that's coming in from tomorrow night uh, and we're looking at there could be you know very low temperatures overnight with some frost forming and all of that that's going to do damage I'm delighted I, I answered the phone now that I hear that news. <laughs> I'm, <delighted laughs> um, I'm not, I'm being tongue in cheek. Yeah, I mean, if it, it, the weather, I was just talking to John Paul there before we came on air, Trish, and the weather, like, like I suppose it's 
everybody's conversation at the moment, isn't it? Like to see this weather in the second half of October coming into November is just fabulous. But it is it has been very seasonal in that the evenings are getting cold and the mornings are still cold, but they were having this glorious weather during the day. Uh, now, whether whether what you're talking about coming in there means that this is going to continue, it's just that the nights and that are going to get a lot colder, then yes, it is going to do damage. Like if if we if we go more the jazz festival is starting this weekend, and I always associate the jazz festival in Cork with wind and rain and, yeah. and that kind of weather. If we if we go back to that more traditional weather, if you like, that we won't we won't look at be looking at frost damage and stuff. We'll be looking more physical damage. But um uh, if it's going to get very cold and clear, then yes, we are going to see severe frost. Do we need to move things in from the garden, make sure they're in? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Anything that would, that I might have said during the year, well, that's, that'll do fine outside, but it's frost tender. Well, they're the ones that I mean that need to come in now. So either cover them with horticultural fleece or bring them in if you have a glass house or a polytunnel or a, a well-lit and ventilated garden shed into something like that. OK, let's get straight into questions. John in uh, Mallow says, Good afternoon, Peter and Patricia. I have a holly hedge, Golden King. It's about six years old. Recently, sections of hedge has become covered in what I believe is black sooty mould. Lots of leaves are fully covered. I'm told that this is a consequence of an aphid attack. What is the best treatment for this infestation? Should I spray it immediately? And will the affected areas then recover as the hedge overall seems quite healthy? Kind regards, John in Mallow. Well, John, John has been given the, the, the right diagnosis, if you like. It, it, it's a kind of a double, uh, it, it, it's a two-pronged problem and needs a double-pronged uh, solution. So it's caused by either an aphid or the scale insect overwintering in the plant. And when it does that, as it's uh, leaving off its larvae or hatching its larvae, uh, it, it secretes a honeydew substance onto the leaf, which is very, very sticky. Uh, and on this then, you get this black fungal infection which sticks to that honeydew and it looks to all intents and purposes like the plant is covered in soot. That's exactly what it looks like. So it's very easy to diagnose. You do need a two-pronged approach, as I say, so you need to deal with the aphid or scale insect in the first instance. Um, So use a good organic insecticide uh, and then you also need to treat the fungal infection which is colonised. So you uh, copper sulfate mixed with water, mixed solution of copper sulfate with water, water it on to the, the infected part of the hedge, I'd nearly say the whole hedge in case it's spreading, uh, and the soil around it, and that should take care of it. Will the infected leaves recover? The infected plants will recover. The actual leaves that are covered in black, they won't magically clean themselves, but over time, uh, once you've killed it with the copper sulfate, it will wash off, but over time. So... You'll do both of the things that I said, and it won't look any better immediately, but it's when the new growth comes next spring that you should see that it, it's much clearer. If you're so inclined, you can go out with a, a, a bowl of sudsy water and wash each leaf individually oh. a week or two afterwards. Some it is a hedge. Do. Some people do, oh. if you're so inclined. Uh, if, if, which I suspect you're not so inclined, once you've done that treatment, you're safe enough. Come next okay. spring, provided the new growth is clean. You're it fine. should be all right. Helen says, hi, query for your gardening slot. My dahlias are only coming into flower now. They were planted two years ago and they are in a sunny position. Why so late? I think the reason for this is because I've, I've I mean, obviously with my job, I go to the gardens all day, every day, and I've seen an awful lot of flowers um, which are flowering much later this year. I think, didn't you mention? My red hot pokers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I've seen plants throughout the country uh, that are flowering later than they should be. Now we're also beginning to see a few plants that are flowering, thinking of spring, if you like, like rhododendrons and apple blossoms. Um, 
But the ones that are flowering later, like the dahlia, I think it's the result of the drought. They didn't flower yeah. during the, the hot dry period and they're flowering now. Uh, just enjoy it. Um, here's a lovely one. Hi, Peter. I have a wild flower bed out my back and has given me such enjoyment during the summer autumn with all sorts of butterflies and tiny birds calling cosmos and nasturtiums. However, the bed is out of control since Storm Callum. Is it time to pull up everything and clear it off, getting it ready for next year, keeping the seeds naturally for uh, the next planting season? Also, uh, are, is it too late to take slips? Uh, as usual, great advice. Thanking you. Okay, to deal with the first part of the question with the wildflower area, um, it is time really to clear it off now. So whether you, depending, you've got cosmos and nasturtium which will be pulled out easily, but you don't actually need to pull them out. You could just trim them uh, and leave them there. Now, I don't, I can't see the area, obviously, so it's difficult to give exact advice. Uh, so you could either pull them out and harvest the seeds or just trim them and leave them in situ and the seeds will go back into the ground themselves and it'll, it'll become a kind of self-perpetuating area. Um but if there's a lot of weeds and that in there, you might want to get rid of them first. So you, you, it is time to clear it is the answer, but whether you actually physically remove all the plants or just trim them is up to yourself. Uh, and as regards taking slips, well, it was the general question, probably too general a question really, but the answer I'd say is we've gone a bit too late, particularly with what you're saying, Chris, with the cold temperatures now coming in. Uh, no, you wouldn't. The only, the only cuttings you'll be taking now, and it's probably a bit early for these ones, is hardwood cuttings, which you do for deciduous trees and things like that. But in terms of taking slips, like, normal softwood cuttings I think we've gone too late Okay Deirdre says Hi I've got a Grisolinia hedge it's about 30 years old is it too late in the year to give it a trim it's gone a bit wild in the last few weeks says Deirdre Did you say at the start there Trish did you say what type of hedge it was no, just uh, Grisolinia Oh Grisolinia okay I'm glad I asked because I was just about to say yeah you could trim it back now in, in middle of October but if you do that um uh, sorry, I was going to say that until you, I heard Grislinia, so I, the advice would be no, I wouldn't, because if you do do that, uh, you are encouraging a small bit of new growth, and if we do get these warmer temperatures in the afternoons, it is going to encourage more new growth, and that new growth is then very, very vulnerable to frost damage, because it's soft, it's tender, it hasn't toughened up yet. So for the Grislinia, in case we do get a, a, a cold winter, um, I would hold off until kind of start of March before I trim it back. Okay, Joanne, how does she get rid of bindweed and gut? With the greatest of difficulties, yeah. Joanne, I'm afraid. Yeah. It's not an easy one to get rid of. It, 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 there are chemicals, obviously, that you can use, such as glyphosate, which is the one in Roundup and nearly every weed killer on the market. Uh, I'm not going to get into the rights and wrongs of that now, just now, because I'm conscious of your time, Chris, but I suppose look into that and whether you're happy to use it or not. But the problem with using any of the chemicals on the bindweed is it'll also kill the plant that it's climbing through. So really, you need to, to put it off the host plant. And if you want to use the chemical, put it off the host plant, leaving the roots in the soil, and then just putting the foliage on some polythene or plastic and then spraying it, but being careful that it doesn't wash off the polythene or plastic onto grass or anything. That will work, but it'll take, you know, it won't work in one go. I'd be more inclined to, I'm afraid, I know it's a dose of a job, but just keep pulling it by hand when you pull it out of the ground or when you attempt to put it out of the ground by hand, the roots are very springy and rubbery and you will leave roots behind you and it will, will re-emerge. But I would still say that is the best thing to do and keep at it every time you see it and it will weaken and weaken and weaken. So I would that would be the advice. I don't like using glyphosate or any of these chemicals, I know. these particular chemicals, so I would really just go at it by hand and do it now, but next year, as soon as you see it, just keep pulling it. Forest Flame says, Judy, is now the right time to cut it back? No, uh, too late for two reasons. Number one, 
same as the Grislinia, you'll be encouraging some new growth, which will be very, very vulnerable to frost damage. Uh, and also the forest flame, now whilst it's grown, for its outstanding feature is the, the, the new growth that it does produce in the spring is lovely red colour, but it also flowers. It produces masses of these lovely white Hilly of the Valley type of flowers, fish. and similar to the camellia, those buds are on that plant already. So by cutting it back now, number one, you're leaving it vulnerable to frost damage, but number two, you're going to be sacrificing all next year's flowers. So wait till it's flowered next year and cut back maybe April or May. John in Rathcool, six weeks on from setting a new lawn, the grass is turning green. Or, sorry, the grass, I wish it was. The grass is turning yellow. Is there some nutrient I can put on a new lawn? No. No, no not at all. The, well, the, the, there's two schools of thought in that one that you could fertilise. I think it's too early to fertilise grass for the first six months. I wouldn't touch it for the first six months. The reason, it's caused, the reason it's going yellow has nothing to do with it. It's far too young to be suffering a nutrient deficiency. It's only grass seed with, with soil. That would be green. It's very straightforward. The, the, the reason it's going yellow is cold temperatures at night and in the morning. That's what's doing it. The good news is it will grow out of it. So by next summer, you fertilise it with, with something like the lawn gold, let's say April or May, uh, and that will strengthen it. That will give it the correct pH, uh, and it will keep moss from colonising it. So do it then, and it will green up nearly overnight for you. But the, the yellow at the moment, any amount of fertiliser, the fertiliser will kill it because it's too early, too young. And number two, it won't make any difference. It's been caused by the cold. Wait till, wait till March, April, and then use the long gold. On Mary in Rathgormack, I planted tomatoes in June, but uh, hardly any ripened with the frost coming. Should I bring them in and ripen them indoors? And if so, how do I do that? This is a question we've had several times in the last yeah. few weeks, really, Trish. And it people are having people huge well. problems ripening their, their yeah, tomatoes. It's hard to believe with the, the somewhat sunshine. Again, maybe it's because of the drought that they didn't produce them earlier. Um, but I would say the answer I was giving to most people up to now, Trish, on your programme was leave them on the, on the vines and leave them ripen away naturally. But now I think, think, think it's time. Uh, if they're indoors and if it's frost-free environment, then I would still leave them on. But if they're outdoors or in an unheated polytunnel or somewhere that the frost could get at, yeah, I would. I'd harvest them now and bring them in and let them ripen inside. Okay, and Kath in Mallow, do I still have time to plant cottage garden flowers in the garden for next summer? Absolutely, absolutely. If you're, if you're, if you're planting plants now, is coming into autumn is the time for planting because the soil temperature is still warm enough that plants can get established before they start growing next spring. Much better to plant them now and let them get established as opposed to planting them in the spring when they could be facing more or less immediately into a drought. Let them get established by planting them in the autumn. The only thing is, uh, you may have difficulty sourcing them in garden centres because those kind of plants are out of season now, so you may not be able to source them. That's the only downside. If you can get them, certainly plant away. Because the daffodils, you should be everyone should be getting the daffodils should be well in by now, or put them in if you yeah, haven't put them in. The, the, the spring flowering plants, yeah. definitely your 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 bulbs, your daffodils, tulips, all those kind of things. Yeah, plant them now. Because we always get questions in the new year saying, "Is it is it too late to plant daffodils?" And we're constantly saying, "Yes, it is." Uh, <laughs> okay, so uh, what are you up to at the moment? The, at the moment, I'm just I'm I, I think I mentioned last week, but I've moved my base of operations. If you like, Trish, I'm now based in Hanley's Garden Centre on the Kinsale Road. So I'm kind of in the middle of moving and creating an office here. So uh, I am available to if anybody wants garden consultations or design, you contact me through through Hanley's. Okay, all right. Listen, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for that. Look forward. To and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Peter Dowdle uh, joining us, uh, the Irish uh, gardener. And we actually, I think, got through all of the questions uh, today. Um, I think we got through all of them. Our apologies if we didn't, because more they come in as I'm trying to keep updated uh, with uh, Peter. Now, there's a couple of people on about when I spoke earlier with Fanula 
Colgan, who was talking from Mental Health Ireland and she was talking about farming and stress and the stresses around life. And she does this really uh, good way of five tips to help deal with uh, stress and how important it is to deal with uh, stress. And I mentioned she's part of a group of speakers who is going to be joining us tomorrow night. John Paul said a number of people on to say, did I mention where it's on? I, th- I did. And I did and I did a couple of times. It's on in the Munster Arms Hotel and is there a charge? No, no, I did forget to say that. It's completely free of charge. It's been organised by the Skipperine and Bandon uh, Credit Union. It's kind of just a kind of a unique night for women in agriculture. Just give them an opportunity for everybody to get together. It's an opportunity to listen to some, you know, really good guest speakers. Voice your opinion if you want to. But of course, when you come along to these events, you don't have to voice your opinion at all. You can make it a nice social night out as well. Get out and meet the friends. That's tomorrow night in the Munster Arms Hotel at eight. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara, who produced the programme today. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. And we are back with you with Thursday edition of the programme tomorrow at 10. Court today with Breedhaven Nursing home mallow it's family run so your loved one will feel at home see breedhaven.ie c103 imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with bowl and branches organic cotton sheets in a recent customer survey 96 percent replied that bowl and branch sheets get softer with every wash start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come try their sheets with a 30 night guarantee plus get 15 percent off your first order at bowlandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.